Well, welcome to our final week again in our series, Turning Setbacks into Comebacks. And over these last six weeks, we've been looking at the book of James, as James has been really teaching and leading the early church who is facing their own version of our 2020. They were going through a season when they were scattered and persecuted and economic struggles that had faced the early church. And James understood this important truth. That in times of struggle, in seasons of difficulty, it's our character that is revealed and tested during these times. And I don't know about you and I, I'm sure in 2020, we have learned a lot about ourselves in 2020. Some of it has been really encouraging. And some of it's been a little discouraging at different times, right? Because crisis, I always say this, crisis doesn't create character, crisis reveals character, And James knows that to be true in the early church, and so he takes these time to teach and remind them of this important truth. And so here's the question I want to ask you. If crisis reveals character, what has 2020 revealed about you? Do you like what you see in the mirror as we near the end of this year? But what is it has it revealed about us? Last week, if you're a sports person, Dak Prescott, who's the quarterback for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, uh, had a horrific injury against the Giants, multiple compound fracture on his ankle, dislocated his ankle. Uh, and Dak, at this moment, is experiencing a 2020 like many of us haven't, so he's out. What makes it so challenging for him is 2020 is a contract negotiating year for Dak and his contract. Some of the experts uh, speculate this, that this injury cost him $144 million in contract opportunities for this next year. And I wanted to share a little bit today and let you hear a little bit of his testimony as our brother in Christ talks about how he is experiencing a setback and where he's finding his hope for his comeback. Watch this. What's up, everyone? Just want everyone to know that I'm doing well. Um, and I can't thank you enough for all your, your love, your support, your prayers. Um, over the last few days, they've been more than overwhelming. Scott breaks the tackle. Picks up a t- oh, no. Oh. Um, from, from, from teammates to family to friends uh, to fans I don't know to former and current players around the league and players around um, all sports. I uh, just wanted to say thank you. Uh, they're definitely appreciated and received well. Look at the love for him. tell by his face he knows that it's not something small um just knowing that i have that much love and support out there makes a huge difference um in great spirits headed to see the doctor headed to see my leg for the first time post-surgery uh so just ready to start this road to come back uh, i know this is this little adversity is just going to be another uh, another chapter in the book uh, and i'm excited to move forward and write it um just once again can't thank you all enough for for your love and your support through it all but I'm in great spirits. I'm going to stay that way um, and, just, and just excited, excited for, for God's purpose and God's plan. I know it's bigger than anything that I see um, or that I could have imagined, but uh, I'm trusting him. My faith is doubled down more than ever, uh, and I'm thankful that, that he's my Savior and he guides me in life. So uh, I know through him um, all this will be possible and all this will, will be a great comeback and a great story. So once again, thank you for your support. Thank you for your love. Um, and uh, ready to get this, this journey of the comeback started. So God bless you all. Thank you. Isn't that great? 
I, I had no idea that Dak has been watching our series, and uh, so if you're watching online again this morning, Dak, thanks for joining us as we go. But man, 2020, it's the year that just keeps on giving, doesn't it? And I think about, boy, these setbacks and how we turned it. As I think about 2020, one of the, the things that will come back in my mind has been a, a year of big decisions and difficult decisions. Uh, decisions that have been challenging, that there wasn't a, a, a clear, this is right, this is wrong, decisions that not everybody would agree with how we're interpreting. As I think about 2020, decisions like, are we even going to reopen as a church? Uh, if we do reopen, what's it going to look like? Uh, how do we navigate the tensions in our country, politically, racially, all the things that are going here have been a challenge over this next year? How do we position ourselves for 2021? Because it's going to be different, and there's going to be ripples of what we're facing this year. And so all of these decisions, the, the big word that has been for me in 2020 has been, as your pastor, has been the, the issue of, of just wisdom. God, help me, to, help me to hear your voice, and God, may your voice be louder than the voices that are rolling around in my head. May your voice be more clear than my voice of fear or insecurity or maybe even greater than the voices of those that are around for me, for 2020, God, can, will you clearly just break through the noise so I can hear clearly what you want from that? May I find my wisdom, really, may the source of that be in you. And for me, that's been the challenge. Whether we have made wise decisions or not, we will find out in the years to come. Isn't that the nature of decision? It's never in the moment. But the time will show. But God, would you be clear to me on those kind of things? That's kind of been the, the thing that I've been rolling through for me in 2020, of God, I just want to find my source of that wisdom in you. And James is going to talk about that same thing today, about where do we find the source of our wisdom. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 3. If you've got your phones, fire them up. Go to your favorite browser. Go on to lexcity.info. Again, if you're new with us, all of the sermon notes, all the details you can find right there on lexcity.info as we go. Last week, just to catch you up as you're turning there, last week Pastor Zach led us through the first part of James chapter 3, the first 12 verses, dealing with the power of the tongue and the words that we share being one of the powerful things in us having comebacks. James continues on in verses 13 to 16, and he says this important thing. He describes what fleshly wisdom will look like. Because here's what we're going to find that's so important, that the origin of your wisdom determines the outcome of your wisdom. All right, so James says the origin's critical. Verses 13 to 16, he says, if the origin of your wisdom is your own fleshly wisdom, then it's gonna lead to two things. It's gonna lead to jealousy and it's gonna lead to selfishness. We see it in James chapter three. Then he's gonna contrast, in the verse we're gonna look at today in verse 17, he's gonna contrast what fleshly wisdom looks like compared to what godly wisdom looks like. And James is gonna give us today six indicators that you're living a life of wisdom. That's found in the Lord. And so that's kind of where we want to go. And so as we look in verse 17 and give you these six this morning, can I encourage you, kind of take our time as we work through these. I want to just you to take some moments of self-evaluation, right? Out of these six, some of them you're going to be so encouraged with. You're going to look back with this year and say, man, I, I, I've really grown in this area. This, I, this is going well for me. Some of these out of the six, you're going to say, ooh, a little bit of a growth area. As we go through these six, can I just encourage you, uh, elbows in. No elbowing the person next to you. Uh, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It works a lot better that way, right? So just keep them close as we go. All right, James chapter 3, verse 17 says this. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism 
and is always sincere. And it's interesting to me what James starts off. Out of all the six, he starts off with this one, this idea, he starts with purity. Look at that first part. He says, first of all, first of all, pure. This is what's true of wisdom. Holiness, righteousness, purity is the beginning of wisdom. And I think it's really critical that James starts with this, especially when it deals with the setbacks of our lives. Because, let me just say it to you lovingly. Some of the setbacks that you're facing in your life are not an issue of circumstances. They're an issue of sin in your life. The Bible teaches so clearly that one of the consequences of sinful behavior and thinking is pain, setbacks, and challenges that come our way. That it's, a, it's the fruit that's produced by ungodly living. So in 2020, listen, some of the things that we have faced have been out of our control. And some things we have contributed Two, James starts out. Look what Galatians chapter 6 says. I love it. It says it there. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those of you who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Easy way to remember it is simply this. Holiness leads to happiness and sinfulness leads to sadness. So James says, over a period of time, holiness is going to lead to happiness in your life. Sinfulness is going to lead to sadness. So when setbacks come, the encouragement as we begin, and James reminds us, let us look within first before we blame everything on the outside. He says, when struggles come, just take a moment. Self-evaluation. God, is there something in me that's contributing God, is there places in my life where the sinfulness of my choices and decisions, I want to start with me before I begin to look outward and blame those things. Number two, he says, first of all, it's pure. Number two, it's also peace-loving. It's also peace-loving. What a timely word for us today, this idea of what wisdom looks like. Now listen, here's what it means. So to loving peace means simply this, that you don't antagonize others towards anger, all right? You're not always looking for a fight, you're not always looking to debate. The ultimate goal of every conversation, this is amazing, the ultimate goal of every conversation is not to be right and to always have the last word. Um, everything in life is not a competition. You do not have to declare a winner and loser on everything that happens in life, right? So for all of my social media warriors out there, uh, can I just remind you Psalms 29. Psalms 29 verse 11 says this. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Can I just encourage you for my social media warriors? Listen, don't waste your emotional energy and your brain cells on fools. It's just not worth it. It's just there's better things to do with your life and your time. The Bible says they're just foolish and they won't get it. But the peace that, that James is talking about is, is much deeper than just that. He, he's not talking about this idea that we just hold back, that we just hold our tongue, that we just push it all and keep it within us. He's talking about a, a true kind of peace. That's how we know we, we're experiencing this. A, a true kind of peace that's not easily offended. A, a true kind of peace is not defensive when it's challenged. It doesn't always walk around with a chip on its shoulder. It, a true kind of peace is something that is within that overflows to the things that are outside of us. That's why peacemakers are so rare. That's why people who are peacemakers are such a joy 
and a blessing at times of turmoil and unrest. When everyone is turning inward on each other, James says the beauty of a peacemaker is they are somebody who will bring mutual perspective and insight. And these kind of people can do this. Don't miss this. They can do this because they are first at peace with God. And then they're at peace with themselves. And so they can be at peace with others. When I struggle to be at peace with others, I've got to start and remind, if I'm not at peace with God at first, I'm in trouble. If I'm not at peace with myself, it can't be an overflow of what I'm experiencing in my own life. And so James says, boy, this is such a gift. He says, number two, the idea of wisdom also is peace-loving. Number three, he says, it's gentle at all times. 18th century poet Matthew Arnold referred to gentleness as this, as a sweet reasonableness. And I love this idea. It carries the meaning, of, the meaning of moderation without compromise. Gentleness without weakness. A gentle person does not deliberately cause fights, but neither does he compromise the truth in order to keep peace. Here's an important distinction. It's not peace at all cost, but it's peace whenever it's possible. Uh, Carl Sandburg once described... Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he said, he is a man that I would refer to as being this, he is a velvet steel. And I love that, velvet steel. If I ever have a, a racehorse, I'm gonna call it velvet steel. Uh, I don't know why, but I love that one. Or maybe I'll just get it tattooed right across my chest. But what do you think, babe? Velvet steel as we, no? Okay, velvet steel, but here it is. It's, uh, I tried. It's uncompromising reasonableness. That's what it is. So this idea of gentleness, it's not that you're meek and you're weak. It's you're strong, but you understand the difference. And you understand that sometimes there's an uncompromising reasonableness, but it's a reasonableness that's there. Number four, fourth trait of godly wisdom. These are good. James had it. It's willingness to yield to others. It's a willingness to yield to others. Amenability is really the, the word that we would say. And amenability, it's, boy, it's such a powerful thing. It's what makes followers of Jesus easy to work with. It's what makes them easy to live with and it what makes it easy to go through trials and struggles with these kind of folks that are there. An amenable person is willing to see and hear all sides of a question with, again, out compromising their own convictions. Do you see the difference in this? I can disagree. We, we would refer to it now as being disagree, disagreeing but being not disagreeable. And it's this idea of this is the power. James would simply say this. We studied it earlier, right? They're, they're swift to hear, slow to speak, and, and slow to anger. So that's what amenability is. It's the ability to hear and take all these things in. That's part of it. The part of amenability, I don't know about for you, but for me, the one that's a struggle, it's this idea that you are open to persuasion. See, when God's wisdom is at work, there's a willingness to listen, there's a willingness to think about it, there's a willingness to pray through it, there's a willingness to obey whatever God reveals. Uh, one translation of it called it a yielding persuasion that's there, that we're open to those things. So here's the question. When is the last time you have ever changed your mind on an issue or a topic or a concept? I don't know about you. The older I get, <laughs> that's a little less. I seem to get more set in my ideology and my thinking. Now, this isn't a problem because I'm always right, but for some it could be. You, you ever know that kind of feeling? It's terrible, but Seriously, in our hearts, James says wisdom. We've got to remain humble and we've got to remain teachable. We have not cornered all truth. For those of us that are older, listen, sometimes even that humble teachability is gonna come from people that are younger than us. 
James says it's, it's a mark of wisdom when you're able to do that, being willing to yield to others. Continues on. Yield to others, and continues on in verse, it is what, full of mercy. Full of mercy. What does it look like to be full of mercy? We, we all know this. We all know what it looks like to be with somebody who is not full of mercy, right? Everything is wrong. Everything is bad. Can't find anything right at work. Nothing's right at the family. Nothing's right at church. Just the world is that way. People who don't have mercy, they are historical critics, right? They can remember everything from the past that you have done wrong, and every, they have an amazing memory towards this that's very historical in what they do. But listen, mercy is different. Mercy gives people what they need in the moment, not what they necessarily deserve, right? It's the beauty of God's mercy to us. He gives us what we need in that moment, not necessarily always what we deserve. Ruth Graham, uh, wife of famous uh, evangelist Billy Graham, was once asked, what was the biggest mistake, I can't believe somebody asked her this, but it's amazing, what was the biggest mistake your husband, Billy Graham, made in your marriage? <laughs> it's a bold question. So uh, Ruth hears it, and graciously she pauses for a moment, and then she says, well, I distinctly remembering choosing to forget the incident that's coming to mind, I chose to forget that. I mean, that's mercy, isn't it? I, I've let that one go, and so I'm not even gonna share, I've chosen to forget that. Families, for us, listen, we, we've been together a lot in 2020. <laughs> and I don't know about you, probably one of the characteristics that's needed in your home at times is this area of mercy. So what do you need to let go, and what do you need to quit bringing up that you've just been bringing up over and over? Because if you keep bringing up, here's the challenge, we, we know it because we've experienced it. Quickly, your words are going to move from being helpful to just becoming a nagging gong. And all of a sudden, the wisdom and the insight in your input is gonna be diminished over time because you're just going over and over and over on the same thing. Mercy knows the difference. Mercy knows when you need a little kick in the rear and when you need a hug. Parents, with your children, right, all of our kids are different. Some of them need a kick, some of them need a hug. Here's what James says, wisdom is the ability to know the ratio between kicking and hugging and what each kid needs that's uniquely different. Right? That's the sense of what he has. And then he goes on to say, here's the final. He says, the final evidence of wisdom is good fruit. Good fruit. Wisdom is not simply talking about doing what's right. Wisdom is living a life that's there. It's more than just talking a good game. And here he, sees, he lists two fruits that are going to be true of wisdom. It goes, fruit of good deeds, and it gives this. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. First one, shows no favor. We, we spent a couple weeks uh, in this series talking about the, the danger of that, the idea of feeling superior one to another based on whatever it could be. Race, it could be wealth, it could be gender, it could be you fill in the blank. James says that's a danger when you begin to feel superior. The reminder is, we need to be reminded at the foot of the cross, we are all equal sinners need, who need saving by the grace of God that we are created in the image of God and in that creates our worth and our value and our equality. We, we talked a little bit about that. But I love how he closes out this section. He says, finally, James says this. I love the way he closes out the verse. He says, wisdom is always sincere. And sincerity is what makes your faith, listen, it is what makes it more than just correct, correct religious behavior. Sincerity is what makes your faith a genuine response to what God has done in your life. 
See, James wants to make sure as he closes out this verse that he's not teaching us behavior modification, that he's really teaching us heart transformation. He says if you just do this and you don't do it with a sincere heart, that's the nature of what hypocrisy is. He says it has to be something that's sincere within you. And I love that word hypocrisy. In the Greek, it's where we get the word hypocrite. And in the Greek, it means this, one who wears a mask or an actor. It's this visual of an actor who puts on a mask for depending on which character he's going to play, and he pulls the mask off when he doesn't. So in Greek theater, uh, the cast was never always that big, and so one actor would play multiple characters, and so between scenes, they would run to the back and then come out with a different mask for the character they were going to be playing, but it was actually the same person, the idea of a hypocrite that's there. Now listen, I wrote this, and then halfway through I'm reading it, doesn't make, I was going to say, now we don't wear physical masks today, <laughs> and then I realized that didn't work, um, but you get the idea, um, but we do have these emotional masks that we put on, right? You come to church, happy, all right, here we go, kids, hush, hush, we all love Jesus, get out of the van now and don't talk to me. You know, oh, we smile and everything's good that way. We, we get a mask that we put on at work that's maybe not quite as polished, we don't put so much, it's a mask that if we're not careful sometimes is, is judgmental and, and critical to those that are in authority over us, it's self-serving that can be that way, it's a mask if we're not careful that we weigh. We, we have a mask that we put on when we're at our house. Sometimes it's a controlling mask or sometimes it's an impatient mask that's there. And then we have our Instagram mask, which is awesome because we're always happy and we're blemish-free. You know, that's the beautiful little deal. And we all have this, right? We, we put masks on for different situations and with different relationships. And some of these masks are accurate. And in some are, as James says, they're hypocritical of what we do. And I love James the way he closes out. He simply says this. He says, church, he says, like, just, just be you. Just be you who you are. James says there's a better way to go through life than trying to put on this facade. There's a godlier way to go through life. He says there's a way of wisdom is the key to it. And he reminds us of this important thing, that wisdom is not a principle, that wisdom is a person. That wisdom is the person of Jesus Christ. And the more that we connect with Jesus, the more wisdom we have in our lives. So the key isn't to change a behavior. The key is to fall in love more with Jesus and let him change and transform your heart. So the question I have for you today in 2020 in this moment in time is, do you need more wisdom? If you need more wisdom, then you need more Jesus. Out of the six things that I shared with you, the areas that you're saying, ooh, I'm falling a little short in the areas, that's the place in your life you need more of Christ in your life. Now, the challenge is that makes an assumption, that, that makes an assumption that you have a relationship with Jesus in the first place in order to draw on for this time. So I want to back up to that very basic but fundamental question, is do you have this kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not do you know if there is a God and you think, not, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? The kind of relationship where in times of struggle like 2020 that you can lean back on. The kind of relationship you can lean in the Lord and say, even at these times, God, I need your wisdom in your life. I'm not as patient as I need to be. I'm finding I'm failing in this world. God, I, I can't find these sources uh, of love. You, you listed these six, and I feel like I'm, I'm failing on all of them. There's no gentleness. There's, there's no peace-loving. There's no mercy in my life. God, I'm trying, and I'm just not, I'm falling short over and over. Listen, James would say, then the answer to that begins with the relationship with Jesus.
that he comes in and changes and transforms your heart. So if you've never experienced that in your life, the Bible says you can do that. By acknowledging your sin, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sinfulness leads to what the Bible says a little later in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn from our sinfulness is, is not only a physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from a holy God. And what I love is, since God looked down on us and said, listen, there's no way that you can ever be good enough to come to me out of God's infinite love and mercy, God came to us. To the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And three days later, he rose again to show that he not only had power over death, but he had power over your sins and my sins. Romans 5, 8, and what I love, God says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. See, the beauty is this. God didn't say, hey, just become wise, and then I'll accept you. Have mercy in your life, then I'll accept you. Hey, don't show favor. No, God says, listen, I, I see you with all the things that you're falling short in, and here's the deal. I love you. God demonstrates his love for us while you were still in all of that. Christ died for us. And the Bible says you can experience new life with him through believing or accepting or entrusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by your works, so that no man may boast. Have you experienced that kind of relationship with Jesus? If not, can I invite you just this morning, if you would, just bow your heads with me, just all around here. If you're watching online, just wherever you're at, just to take this moment. And today, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's not the words that save you. It's just the attitude of your heart. But simply praying to God something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I need your wisdom in my life. God, I need you in my life. Lord, forgive me for my sins that have separated me from you. God, thank you that you love me enough that you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin that I might have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, today I'm placing my trust and my hope in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, no greater decision than you can make in your life, and we celebrate that with you today. And if you made that prayer, can I encourage you to do a couple things for me? Um, number one, if you go to lexcity.info, there's just a place there that says, I prayed. If you want to click that button, it'll just, we'll love to send you some information how you can grow in your faith. If you came this morning and came with somebody, I encourage you to be able to share that with them. Um, even as you leave today, today I made that decision or I'll be available just right after service, right out here in the hallway. We'd love to even connect and to hear a little bit of your story on that. But see, the beauty of that relationship with Jesus is this, is that the origin of your wisdom determines the outcome of the things of your life. And James goes on to give us, listen, the reward of wise living is found in the final verse of this chapter. And look what he says again. Let me go back to 17. Just to give you that, here's the six markers, right, in your life. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, 
It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And if we'll live by those six things, again, last verse of the chapter, verse 18. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What we are, right, is what we live, and what we live is what we sow, and what we sow determines what we reap. If we live in God's wisdom, if we sow righteousness and peace, we will reap God's blessings. And James says this is the key to turning setbacks into comebacks. Let's pray together. And just as we take these moments, I... I I ask maybe for the, some of you that made that decision today. I was just thinking about it. I'd, I'd love to be able to just remember and even pray for you this week. And, uh, you know, today, if you made that decision to place your faith in Christ for the very first time, would you be willing just to put your hand up and down that I could just remember even this week and celebrate that with you? Anybody here today on that? Awesome. Father, today we are reminded of the importance of wisdom. wisdom, though, that only comes from your heart to ours. Wisdom that shows gentleness and patience. A wisdom that produces peace in a time of turmoil and upheaval. And God, in 2020, (laughs) what a rare and what an attractional characteristic of who you are to be in our culture and our time. And so, God, I pray for us as your followers. May this week, in the months to come, in our interactions with people and circumstances, may we be men and women of wisdom that the world would see, that the world would notice, and that the world would be drawn to our Savior because there's something distinctly different. So God, this week, help us to be reminded that what we sow will be what we reap. So use us today for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.